it's always great to be here and uh, share, and I'm, I'm glad to have that opportunity. Um, as we were worshiping, just uh, thank you. We're not going to have slides uh, tonight like we normally do. I found this new, really cool app. It's called the Paper app. <laughs> What's neat about it is you never have to plug it in.
could not hold him, and death could not hold you. So we're not going to be disappointed. So tonight is not a series. Tonight is a one-up. I know. What does that mean? That means this is, I'm just going to preach from some scriptures. It's like a standalone message. You know, it's like the TV series. You know, you watch a series, and thank God for Netflix. Hallelujah. You just, you know, you know, the way the week. They don't, do, they, do they do TV shows that are one-ups? Like a special? I don't watch it. I don't even know. A movie, it's like a movie versus a TV show. It's not going to be that long. Romans, so I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures and talk about it. And the, and the first scripture and the, 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 the text of the, of the scriptures, Romans 5, 5, says hope does not disappoint. We're not going to be disappointed. You're not saying I'm not going to be disappointed. Not Is that good news? Yeah. Oh. Because, why aren't we going to be disappointed? Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. So that the title of the message is actually poured out. That's what I'm going to be talking about, being poured out. What it means, what it means in this verse, and then how we need to apply it in, into our lives because Jesus and God demonstrated it. And, and Paul, in, in writing the book of Romans, explains that the reason that we can have a hope that will not disappoint us is because God's love was poured out in us. Right? In fact, God's love was poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We know we won't be disappointed. We won't be let down. We're not going to be made ashamed. Some translations, if you read that, it says you will not be uh, made ashamed uh, by this hope because God's love has been, past tense, it's already happened, poured into us. Right? The Holy Spirit has been given like a down payment, a guarantee. We have a realtor in the house. It's, it's a, a title deed. The title, you know, for a piece of property or for a car, right, is a little piece of paper. But that piece of paper means that you own something. And that piece of paper is proof that you own something. It's not the something. <laughs> All right? Yep. I own this piece of paper. Yeah. No. This piece of paper illustrates or demonstrates that you own a piece of property. Yeah. A witness. Yeah. It's proof. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is the proof of what is to come, of what we're hoping for, of what we're looking forward to. So it actually says this in, in uh, Ephesians. It says that the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, the Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised. 
and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Wow. Holy Spirit. So there's God the Father. There's God the Son, Jesus Christ. And there's this other person all throughout Scripture. From the very first story, when God created the heavens and the earth, it says the Spirit uh, was brooding over the surface of the earth. And then God spoke, let there be light. Everything happened when God spoke, and, and, and Jesus is called the Word of God. So, so the Word that proceeds forth from God is actually Jesus. And the Spirit was present in creation all the way through the Old Testament. And then in the, whole, in the New Testament, it's like the veil is removed and Holy Spirit's everywhere. And then it says, Holy Spirit's in us. He's been poured in, poured forth to, to gush out. That word can be translated to gush. Alright? God poured out His love by pouring out himself into us. Think about that for a minute. Even if we don't understand what or who the Holy Spirit is, we know that he is God. He is eternal. So when the love of God is poured into us by the Holy Spirit, according to what the Bible explains, God poured out his love in a way that is kind of hard to, to, to embrace or to, to comprehend. God didn't just tell us he loved us. That's a good thing. You should tell your wife that you love her. At least once. <laughs> At least once. Yeah. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. No. You tell, your you tell the people that you love, you love them a lot, right? That's a good thing, but that's not all God did. God did not just show us that he loved us. It's good to show someone who loved them. God didn't give something that represented his love. It's good to give something that represents love. Valentine's Day, they give flowers, right? <laughs> Pastor's appreciation month, you give money. <laughs> yeah, that's everyone. <laughs> that's this month. It's like, now. <laughs> Technically, it's October, but nobody really knows that. <laughs> okay, so God didn't just tell us, God didn't just show us, God didn't just give something that represented His love. God communicated His love by pouring Himself into us. And so love, if I, had a, if I had a slide, the word love equals being poured out. Because according to this verse, that's how God demonstrated his love to Chris Wall. By pouring himself into Chris Wall. By pouring himself into Daniel Singer. By pouring himself into you. By pouring himself into me. I don't understand how that works. Yeah. Welcome to the human race. The best theologians that have ever lived have never figured this out. How can an infinite God fit into a finite space? 
it's impossible. But God's able. It doesn't even, it doesn't even challenge him. Okay? It challenges us because we're limited. It doesn't challenge him. So let's just, let's just think a little bit about this idea. So there's a lot of things in Christianity that you need to believe, but you don't need to understand. Amen. You're trying to understand everything. You're not going to understand everything. There's a lot in life that you just have to believe in order to receive the benefits of it. Now, it's good to understand as much as you can understand. God gave you a brain for a reason. Right? <laughs> Expand it, learn, train it, discipline it, uh, uh, study to show yourself approved, rightly dividing the word of God. But there's a lot of things that you, the more you study, the more you get to the place where you just need to believe. So many, many different places it talks about the Holy Spirit is in us. Jesus said this in John uh, 14. He says, I will pray to the Father. So Jesus is praying to the Father's. I love verses or passages where you where we see an interaction where we see all three persons of the Trinity interacting. And so here's Jesus praying to the Father. I will pray to the Father and he will give you another helper that he, this other helper, may abide or live or move in, take up residence with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. In you. Romans 8, a little further in, in the book of, of Romans, Paul writes, says, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. It's interesting. He's called the Spirit of God. I didn't look up all the Greek. I'm sorry. Uh -huh. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay, Anthony. It's all right. We'll let it go this time. Anthony and Jimmy can sort that out. You want to check out the Greek. All right. But it says the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, oh, he's the Spirit of Christ. He's the Spirit of God. Um, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, I thought the Holy Spirit was in me. But now he's saying Christ is in me. Because it's the Spirit of Christ, mm -hmm. which is the Spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Because there are three in one, yeah. kind of get along together. If Christ is in you, the body is dead. This fleshly part is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Listen, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so the Holy Spirit is the spirit that raised Jesus' dead body, his dead flesh, from the grave. If that spirit dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Anyone in the room physically dead? Hopefully not. Wait. Not at the moment. All right? So you're not as dead as Jesus was dead when he was in the grave, right? Right. But the Holy Spirit was able to take Jesus' dead body and, and raise him from the dead so that he could live. So if God's Spirit can do that to a dead body, he can do it to your body. In fact, that's why he's given, is to 
change your body from being empowered and being driven to death and sin to being empowered and driven to life and righteousness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Is that good news? Yeah. So throughout Scripture, it talks about the Holy Spirit and Jesus living in us. So we need to believe that. We need to actually believe that the Holy Spirit's in us. And, and, and you know, I'm a Pentecostal, I believe this. If you know what that means, <clears throat> um, people that believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are just tools that the Holy Spirit gives to allow you to exercise spiritual uh, powers like speaking in tongues or, 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 or prophesying, which is speaking words of God or uh, words of knowledge, understanding things that you wouldn't have the natural ability to do that. God just gives you like a prophetic image of the word that um, was uh, shared. She said she had this, she saw this picture and then Justin saying it, you know, kind of on the same wavelength there, right? Those are spiritual gifts. But uh, those aren't just, those aren't the spirit. Those are some of the things the spirit enables you to do. Right. If you've come to Jesus Christ and accepted him as Lord. And I do believe that there's a there's an experience where once you're a Christian, you've accepted Jesus, you ask, you invite the Holy Spirit in you. You ask Jesus to fill you, to baptize you, to immerse you, to submerge you so that you're filled up with the Holy Spirit. But that means that he takes up residence in you. Yes. Yep. <clears throat> and that is the love of God. That's the example. That's the down payment. That's the guarantee of our inheritance. This Holy Spirit dwelling in us. So love equals God personally being poured into you in a very real way. Yes. Pretty cool, isn't it? Yes. It's fantastic. So what are we going to do with that? What would be a good application? Let's look at three categories of people that God has called us to love. No. <laughs> if God loves by pouring himself into us, then maybe we need to learn by his example how to love others. All right? You ready for application? This theology, this is application. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this, but I say to you, Love your enemies. Friends. Yeah. <laughs> Friends. <laughs> Frenemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you, persecute you, pick on you, make fun of you, belittle you, take advantage of you. So that, do that, so that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. I like the version in Luke. In, in Luke's version, he says it this way. He says, love your enemies, do good to them. Yeah. Break it down. That's right. Do good to them. Love your enemies, do something good. And I, I really like this. It says, 
says, this next line says, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Give away your stuff to people that are your enemies with no anticipation that they're going to return it. Let them borrow that and don't keep lists of everything they have that's yours. Mm -hmm. Consider it a gift. And if they give it back, it's like, oh, so I just, wow. That's a pretty high standard. Yeah. You know? He says, then your reward from heaven will be very great, and, you, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for He is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Mm -hmm. yeah. You must be compassionate, just like your Father is compassionate. Mm -hmm. So loving our enemies is the primary way in which we behave like our, like our Heavenly Father. Love is a demonstration. Loving our enemies is a demonstration or an expression of our identity as sons and daughters of God. If you're, you know, if, like I look like my dad, especially now, because I'm old. Yeah. Yeah. So when I look in the mirror, I get a little scared because my dad, my dad with some extra weight, because he was, he was never this big. Like, dad, put on some, oh no, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> and so when we look in the, the mirror, uh, our spiritual mirror, we should see a reflection of our spiritual father. Amen. We look like our father. Yep. Well, what does our father look like? He loves on his enemies. Mm -hmm. He does good to those who are wicked. Yep. Because okay? that's how he is. He loved us when we were still enemies. He died on the cross. He didn't, we didn't love him first. He loved us first and died on the cross. All right, so who's your enemy? Who's your enemy? Think of an enemy. Just think of an enemy. So, so, so the Bible describes the people who, who use you and pick on you, persecute you. Anybody want to offer an example of someone that might be an enemy? Yeah. My son-in-law right now. My son-in-law. Antagonism within. It's going to fall into a different category. Anybody else? This, these are enemies, okay? Yeah. My brother. A uh, brother. Okay, we're, we're, we're a family. We're, we're actually not there yet. We're talking about enemies. Who would be an enemy? Think about news stories. Mass shooters. Mass shooters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How about someone walks in here with a gun and starts shooting? Yeah. Yeah. Happens in churches from time to time. That's an enemy. How about someone who, um, you know. Like ISIS? Yeah, ISIS. 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 <laughs> enemy. So this is not somebody you need to think. Are they for me or are they against me? They hate me. They want to kill me. Who else? Another enemy. Yeah. Just say that. Um, bombers that. Yeah. Bombers. Terrorists. Like Terrorists. Terrorists. Yeah. Terrorists. Yeah, how about how about people on the other side of the political oh, line oh, than you are, yeah. like Hillary? Like, <laughs> fill in the blank. Yeah. Okay. People who have a different agenda than you. Oh, 
Right? Because you're the radical, fill in the other blank. They're the enemy. We need to, we need, we need, we didn't march against them. We need to expose them. Hashtag me too. Because we have an enemy. No. God's not saying they're not the enemy. He's actually saying, yeah, they're the enemy. They want to use you, persecute you, take advantage of you. They might even want to kill you. And every one of you. Love those people. Post good things on their Facebook. And not good in the way of, this is good if you accept it. <laughs> Loan them something. Give them something. Facebook is the enemy. Yeah, Facebook is the enemy. <laughs> okay. How can you pour yourself into someone like a terrorist? Pray for them. And spending time praying for the people who are so oppressed that they can be convinced to strap a bomb on their body and walk into a crowd and pull the trigger and be blown up. Pray for them. Don't just pray against them. Pray for them. You know, these are people on the these are people that really are, are distant or attack us. Okay? Every chance I have. You need to find a way that you can pour yourself into them in a similar way that God poured himself into you. Jesus actually uh, continues. He says that we need to love another category of people in Mark chapter 12. <clears throat> he said... Um, so a lawyer, a scholar, asked him what was the most important commandment. Jesus replied, said, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God the, uh, is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And everybody in the crowd went, yep, that's called the Shema. Every Jewish person to this day, if they're a faithful Jewish person, they, they recite that every morning. It's the first thing that comes out of their mouth in the morning. It's the last thing they say before they go to sleep. It's, a, it's the commandment. The Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. But then Jesus pulls a fast one, and he says, the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. What? Where'd that come from? It's in a different book. It's in Leviticus 19. This obscure little passage. And Jesus says, no other commandment, singular, is greater than these. So he takes the absolute most important commandment that's most familiar and links it with this other commandment to love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. Right? So Jesus is saying that loving your neighbor is equal to loving God. Loving your neighbor is equal to loving God. In fact, you can't fully love God unless you're loving your neighbor. And I don't think you can fully love your neighbor unless you're in, in the love of God. Because you don't have enough resource. You'll run out of love. 
Where do you get more love? The love of God that shed abroad in your heart, poured into your heart. What are you going to do with that love? You're going to love your enemies. All right, those are people distant that you normally don't interact with, and when, they, when you do interact with them, it's not pleasant. But then we need to love our neighbors. Who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? People you run into.
Right? Everybody needs to be saved, but you need to be born into a family, and a family needs to love one another. And so when you preach the gospel to someone at the store or on the street or someone you work to with, realize that you're inviting them into your life and you're willing to pour your life into them. Because that's how God loves us. And God's called us to live in a family, which is called the church. How can you love your neighbor? Invite them to church. Invite them into your life, and church should be a big part of that life. This is actually a safe place. It's a public meeting to invite strangers into, or neighbors into, and share with them. One other thing, one other <laughs> category of people that were to love, Jesus said in John 13, verse 34, a new commandment, this is the only commandment, this is a new commandment that, God, that Jesus added to the town. Right? A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So here Jesus is, is making a differentiation between those who are Christians, they, the world, will know that you are my disciples. So as disciples, as the category is, the disciples, we are to love one another. And if we do that really well, it'll communicate the truth to those who don't know that. And they will be drawn into the love of God by the demonstration of our love for one another. Now I think that this is the most difficult of the three categories. Alright? Because it's easy to love the terrorist in Syria. You know why? Never see them. I'm never going to see those people. I can't even go there if I wanted to. Alright? I can't shovel their driveway. I can't even say anything to them. It's easier to love a neighbor than it is to love one another. You know why? Because you don't have to go home with the neighbor. You're like, you see him from time to time. But one another, that means people that you, you do life with. The closer someone is to you, this is a big, this is a big, uh, misunderstanding that a lot of people have. They think that the closer the relationship, the easier it is to love. The closer the relationship, two sisters are like, yeah, we get it. The closer the relationship is, actually, the greater the demand is on the love. Okay? Because, you know, if, if, if the neighbor's annoying you, you just you turn up and put in headphones, right? Or you, you, you don't stay away. <laughs> you know? I don't have time. Hey, I gotta go. You know? Okay, see ya. But my wife is gonna be home when I get there. If all goes well. Yeah. If all goes well. <laughs> <laughs> so the quote, and so loving one another 
This is why people leave churches. I only, I can probably count on one hand in 30 years of ministry the number of people that have left because of a theological disagreement. Hmm. That they actually didn't believe what we were teaching and they said, I, I, we love you, but we just, I'm not in agreement with your interpretation. Just feel we need to go. Okay, yeah. But the number of people that left because they were irritated by the behavior of someone else in the church, 95%, maybe 90%. And the, dip, the other percentages, they move because of the job relocation and there's no other, you know, it's just for other reasons that are obvious. But most people leave churches because they get close enough to actually be irritated by someone. Or someone is irritated by them. And that's when love has to be engaged to overlook. Love covers a multitude of what? Sin. Ah. So if there's no sin, if there's no conflict, what do you need love for? So having that love that over, uh, that covers it, that compensates for offenses in those who are close is far more demanding than those who we see at work but not at home or we live in the same neighborhood, all right? Or those who live on the other side of the planet that just hate us or those who post things on Facebook that we don't like. So how do you love, pour yourself into one another in the same way that God poured himself into you? So look around in the room. These are people that God commands, Jesus commands, take something of yourself and put into them as a demonstration of your love for, that God has so that the world sees what love really is. And then take some of that and put it into the people in your communities. Those are your neighbors. And then take some of that and try to throw it over to those, the enemies or the people you encounter that are just way on the other side of the scale, that hate you, give them some of yourself. Give them some of you. And when you do that, you create a, a space so that God can pour more of himself into you. So that the more you give out, the more you get in. And the ultimate goal is that you just become a channel, like a hose. I preached this once years ago, and I actually had a hose hidden under the stage, and I, and I pulled it up, and I, had, I, had, I signaled the guy to turn on the hose, and I actually had a cardboard box. Inside the cardboard box was a, was a plastic tub, and so, <laughs> you know, this continual flow of water is, is what God's called us to that's living filled with the Holy Spirit. That's being a channel of God's love being poured into us, poured into one another, poured into our neighbors, and poured into the world. Let's close in prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we ask that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you already have, if we're a believer, you already have, and we give Holy Spirit full permission to do whatever he wants in us, to us and through us. And Lord, I pray that everyone here would learn how to pour themselves out so that they can be vessels
that are able to receive more of you and so that we can love one another, that we can love our neighbors, and we can love the world. And we, through that love, we can see a transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Let's give him a hand.